Co-ownership of homes is on the rise across Canada. So that's people buying homes with a friend or with a family member. Would you do it? Recognizing the Unseen International Overdose Awareness Day. Today we speak with a counselor who reminds us that it's not someone's fault if they're an addict. AI in the classroom, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And how do you spot something that's been written by AI? And it's Thursday, which means small town salute. So today we saluted your small town summer adventures. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Loren McNabb and Greg Mackling, who's off today and tomorrow. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, August 31st podcast for The Start. It is McGarry and McNabb Mackling taking a couple of days off as we approach the unofficial end of summer, at least for many, as we head into the Labor Day long weekend, the end of the meteorological summer. Today is the last day of that. And on this last day, I guess we'll get another crack at it tonight. I didn't see it last night. Did you? Were you able to see the super blue moon? I had gone to bed and sort of... I don't know if I had been checking my phone or saw something on Twitter and I thought, oh, right, the moon. I should show the kids. And I step outside the back and I look and I can't see the moon. So I step out the front and I could see the moon, but through clouds. And then I just was wah, wah. Yeah. So I think it was a, a bust for some of us. Yeah, I, I checked before I went to bed and I don't know if the moon just hadn't made it around the corner of my building yet or if it was skulking behind 55 Nassau because that often, you know, that often happens. The sun will disappear behind that building or the moon will disappear behind it. Or if it was just hiding behind cloud and haze, I don't know. Uh, I I think I could maybe see the, at least the light coming from it, but I'm not entirely sure. And when I checked this morning, couldn't see anything. So that was a bit of a bust. So we'll get one more crack tonight, I suppose, because it's a two, it's supposed to be a two night event, but uh does it look cloudy tonight? I know you just read the forecast, but I never... Do you think I listen to Drew's forecast? <laughs> I only read the weather 14 times a day, and uh, I never forget people say, what's the forecast? I don't know. Partly cloudy tonight, it looks like. So we'll see. We'll see what we get. And yeah, you know, I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself because I'm excited for the weekend. And also in trepidation because it for me, it's it feels like the last... Real weekend of yep. the year. Of know? the year. <laughs> Since, sincerely, like of the year. It's kind of like your Christmas break where, you know, you restart. September's like that restart, recharge your batteries, get going. Kids got a million things going on already. And so it's sort of, the, I feel like it might be my last free weekend. Really? Of the year. And so by f- no sports, no nothing? I actually don't know that for sure. So <laughs> I like, I try to turn, I kind of do this thing around this time of year where, you know, you've got back to school stuff and you have trips to the dentist you're doing and you're getting all your appointments taken care of. And then the activities ramp up and I like do this when I walk past my calendar, like, la, 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 I can't see you. <laughs> you know? I don't want to know. I don't want to be organized yet, but I'm going to need to be. So yeah, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I the, the forecast looks good and I'm feeling good. And, you know, we're going to talk about summer loving today because it's our small town salute, but we want to salute... So many things, Brett. That's right. Uh, we are. We would like you to join in our small town summer summary 
Did your summer get you out of Winnipeg and somewhere into southern Manitoba? Did you enjoy any delicious, tasty treats, perhaps a burger shack somewhere along the way? Or maybe you visited a spot in Manitoba that you never have or you did something that you like maybe you you went to a place and actually did something where you, you know like when you go somewhere and you say oh man i i i never we i always wanted to hike that trail right did you hike that trail i remember going to the we stayed at a place i think it's called tall pines lodge in west hawk lake and they had they had this like convergence where you could go this way and take a 5k hiking trail or you could go that way and go for 10k or go this way and go for 15k and we just did this little one that was like three and a half k it was still beautiful we just didn't have the time to do 15k and nor did we have the resources because you probably should go with more than a water bottle mm-hmm. if you're doing a 15 kilometer hike but i would love to do that uh, so we'd love to hear from you at 204-780-6868 and we'll open the phone lines as well at 735 but you made a recommendation, and I got, I'm got i struggling to remember the name of it. Maybe you remember it because it was formerly a restaurant Uncle in Minnesota. Uncle Tom's. Uncle Tom's, yeah. Yeah, it was a great restaurant in Minnesota. Then they it was sold off and then eventually closed down. And then this summer, it's popped up as more as a kiosk in Nipua, and I stopped there. Like, it's it's the taste of my childhood, you know, when you used to stop with your parents and go to have the burger on a Sunday or we'd go after church for breakfast or something like that. And when it disappeared, it was just sort of like this, oh, like that yeah. was like a sense of home. And then when it reappeared in Nipua, I was like, woohoo! And I stopped and had my burger by myself on the way back from uh, visiting relatives one time and was so pleased to see it taste the same. And then I sent you there and then I was like, oh, I hope it's not just this thing that I like made up in my head and it's good to me because it's what I know. Yeah. Oh no, it was del- fantastic. Oddly enough, it was one of the the big, big highlights of the weekend. Yeah. It was like the <laughs> end of our weekend where we had d- gone to play golf at Minnedosa, Clear Lake, stayed in the Clear Lake region and then played Nipawa. And after Nipawa, we went just back up the road to that burger stand and it was excellent. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like, I don't know that I've ever had a bad experience at a burger shack anywhere in Manitoba. It's part the burger, like the burger's fantastic. It's also just that outdoor atmosphere, I think, right? Yep. And you're rolling up and you're like, oh, this could be random or this could be amazing. And often it's amazing. I don't know if you want to repeat what you said off air just before we cracked open the mics. <laughs> but another thing we want to talk about today, I said, hey, Brett, by the way, <laughs> we might want to get into this survey that just came out from Royal LePage on home ownership and the fact that real estate agents are seeing a growing number of people buy homes with someone else, co-ownership. Yeah. Like that 23% of realtors say they've seen an, an increase in the number of home buyers purchasing a property with another person. And you said, <laughs> you not want to repeat it? I think it's- I, I said I'd rather die. <laughs> I, I said it partly just to make Loren giggle because it was as I was reaching for the microphone button, I'd rather die. And then I came on and read the weather sponsor. <laughs> but uh, no, the idea- of going back to, because if this is a roommate situation, I am done. I'm beyond that well, point. We're, we're going to try to find out. We'll try to see if we can get them on. But is it a thing where it's buying with a friend? Are you buying with a family member? Or perhaps it's something like you go in on one of those duplexes, you know, like a side-by-side, yep. and you purchase the whole thing, mm-hmm. and you make that purchase with another family member, and maybe that allows you to get into the home game because affordability 
was the number one reason why people said that, you know, they were considering this option just because it's just an impossible market to get into right now with interest rates and, and prices combined. So we'll get more into that. But I'd love to know if anyone actually has made a purchase with with not their partner in life, but their their maybe their business partner, their friend. Their uncle, like you know, just to get in the housing game. Yeah, I remember when uh, I had some. I have some buddies who live in uh, what is it called, Kildon and Green. Uh, with, so they just built that neighborhood up in the last ten to fifteen years, and when they moved in, they were also building those big duplexes, and they said that a lot of them were being scooped up by families mm-hmm. where they would. You, so like you'd have I don't know how many people, ten people living in this in this duplex side by side, and they they would. So that that to me actually seems like a pretty convenient way if you want to be a if you want to be close to your family but still have some separation. Uh, that seems like a like a pretty like a good idea. Yeah, it might be even a way to stay close to parents or have you know some sort of co-parenting thing going on or help out. And and as an aside, I should apologize because I am forever. One second before Brett ever turns on his mic, saying something like I, I have zero concept that it's time to be quiet ever, ever. I, I, I was the one who made the comment today, though. So it is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today and tomorrow as we head into the Labor Day long weekend, which is for many kind of the unofficial final weekend of the summer. And since it's Small Town Salute Day, we do it at 7.35, and we'll crack open the phone lines at 7.35 and ask you to call in. But you can feel free to weigh in on text for a chance to win Banjo Bowl tickets. We want to do a small town summer summary. Did you enjoy any small town adventures this summer thus far? Do you have any planned for this long weekend? Where did you go? Outside of Winnipeg and southern Manitoba, or you know what, even if it took you outside of Manitoba, 204 780 6868 for a chance to win those Banjo Bowl tickets. Loren, why don't we start with you? Because I know you spend a lot of time all over southern Manitoba. Driving through small towns mostly, and I always take the same route. And this year, because of construction being everywhere, I found myself looking for detours when I've gone back to visit family or go up to Clear Lake. And so when you when you drive to Clear Lake, Lake off Highway 10, there's also another place called Ditch Lake, which I had literally never, I don't know if I'd ever been to, took a detour through there, like some pretty little spots. But the funniest thing about this, my adventures in Clear Lake is that I'm, I'm a creature of habit and I go to the same spots all the time. And I'm telling you, I have never gone, except for when I went to Camp Wasega in like grade five, to the west side of the lake. Like, I'm always going to the right. Like, you, you get in that habit. Like, I yeah. like this beach. I'm only going to that beach. Or I'm only going to this area. And finally, this summer, we did some exploring on the other side of the lake. And I'm not saying that gets you out of your comfort zone. I'm saying it's crazy how often you can go to a space and think, I have no idea what that, what that, what, what's over there. Next like, year, you're going right? Like, I'm going right again this weekend. <laughs> That's like, I'm saying. not going back to the left. I still like the right side <laughs> or the east side better than the, the west. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it was so funny. And even my siblings, when they came up this summer, said, what is over there? I'm like, guys, <laughs> let's go have a look. Like, this is, I said, we're, we've gotten to this age. Why have we never gone to that side of the lake? It was pretty little camping spots. And actually, one of the areas had less rocks. So it's nicer for the kids. I mean, I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like those left side people. You know, they're all up there. They're it's, weird. It's like how you used to feel at the stadium if you were east side, west side. You know? I was just thinking that. Didn't yeah. they just say west, west side, side sucks? sucks. <laughs> See, I should start sh- shouting that at the west side of the lake. <laughs> I, just, I know they're shaking your fist. <laughs> it doesn't. It's just you're, you get in these habits with your road trips or whatever where you don't stop or go somewhere different. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I just uh, actually I took Monday, Tuesday off because I had an opportunity to go play out, play golf at Pinawa. And uh, the, to get there, one of the main ways to get up there is to go up Highway 44, and then you hang a left on 11, and uh, eventually, I think, right on 30 or 211 to get to the golf course. But uh, the guy was my navigator. He took me, I won't say on the, a, a huge detour, but it ended up being a scenic route just up. Uh, we turned on Seddon's Corner. So the name of the road is Milner Ridge Road, or it's uh, the, the highway number is 214. So it just took us, like, I don't know, it was like a 10-minute detour, I bet. But I'd never been on that road, and it was beautiful. And I said to him, I have no memory of this. You clearly have taken us the wrong way, but I have no complaints. We did, we weren't late, and I got to exp- see a part of Manitoba I'd never seen. So that's my little brief contribution. Cam, what about you? Uh, I got out to Winnipeg Beach for the first time in, in a long time, and I went out there a few weekends ago and saw... Uh, Mr. Forche stopped in at his place out there, um, did another crawl. I went and saw, actually went to four different spots, um, went to uh, friends of mine, went to go see Rube and his wife, Rita, went and stopped in to see Simone. And like, there's a bunch of, uh, and of course went to the, to the, to the wine stock cabinets, you know, family and stuff, but it was, it was cool. I got a new appreciation for Winnipeg beach because it's, um, it's like, it's like, it's it's an interesting place because it's like it the, the furniture that people have, the things that people have there. It's like Winnipeg was like 70, 60 years ago yeah. because all the stuff from city, all the city, where are you taking it? Or take it to the lake after we're done with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, you're kind of walking around and you're seeing everything. And it's like, it's, it's a really cool spot. Um, and I know I'm probably telling people things that they've already heard and they've known about Winnipeg Beach forever, but um, it was it was sort of it, this sort of thing that kind of came about me. It was like you know, like man, this is this is a this is a real cool spot. Like if you're somebody that's into antiques and, and old stuff, like man, Winnipeg Beach would 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 be the place to go because that's it's full of little gems and stuff like that. You know, I mean, when you talk about telling people stuff they already know, sometimes you need those reminders because yeah. I know Forte had a bunch of people the, the weekend you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, I I had been invited. Thanks for Jeff. I'm sorry I didn't make it, but seeing the some of the adventures you were up to, you and the everybody, <laughs> uh, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot how fun Winnipeg Beach is because there was you you got some ice cream and. You got some other stuff. Went down to the bandstand. There's an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> and, uh, he was really good. And the, yeah, they always have something going on at the bandstand. I think uh, I think tomorrow they have an ACDC uh, tribute band. So uh, it's it's just like you 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 step into Winnipeg Beach and Hal talks about this all the time because he's got a place out there. And um, it's like all of a sudden it's just like uh, yeah. It's just it's just a different. I gotta get it's, back it's, there. It's just at a different vibe. It's just like I don't know what it is. There's like a special energy about that place, yeah. and you just walk in and you just feel different. And the yeah. burger stand, salties, yeah. excellent. I, I, yeah. I did not make it there this year. Didn't and make no. it to salties. Well, well, last year it burnt down. It burnt down last year in a fire, oh. and uh, they what? Re- they, yeah, they rebuilt the whole place. Oh so wow. It's, uh, oh yeah. It's brand new, but uh, you no, have I, time to get there. Did you just say you're going this weekend? Yeah, I, oh, I plan on going tomorrow. I hope. I hope. But, uh, I know you're driving right by <laughs> to get to your place now, Forche. I know. It's right on Highway 9. But there's also, uh, it's in Sandy Hook, which is like right across the street from me, basically. It's uh, Carlos Cachina. Yeah. You ever been there? It's so good. I think they won the Burger Week was it two years ago, I think 2021. 
And uh, but they have this Hercules burger. It's giant. I've seen it in person, and it's a challenge. I think there's like twelve patties on it. <laughs> there's bacon. There's onion rings, sauce, and I, I think you have to eat it within like thirty or forty minutes. Oh, jeez. Uh, it's 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 giant, but uh, yeah, Carlos Cucina's a, a great place. Oh yeah, and I see Hal even did a piece on that earlier this year for Hal's Kitchen. Uh, Sarah, what about you? Yeah, I spent a day out at Pine Ridge Hollow, so that's by Birds Hill Beautiful. Park. It was mm-hmm. a nice, nice spot. And lots of shopping, farmers market was happening at the time, so uh, great place out there. This weekend, I'm heading back home. Lake of the Woods area, Dryden, and uh, going to spend some time on the lake. Looking Ooh, forward Dryden, to it. Ooh, Dryden, boo. Take a detour. Take one side road on your way home. I know. I'm trying to. <laughs> Pine Ridge Hollow, is a, it's a magical little place. Every time I've only been out there a couple of times, but uh, it's I got just, it out for Dryden. Marvelous. I don't know why. <laughs> What's, you got it out for Dryden? I just, there's no reason for it. There's no just reason. A bug, just a bug, like just a bug Sarah. That's yeah. it. <laughs> What's, like, do you ever stop in Dryden? I've been through there a bunch of times. Through it. Yeah. Through it. I want to talk about how, on average, 20 people a day die of an opioid overdose in this country. So that number comes from Statistics Canada, and it found more than 7,300 7, opioid toxicity deaths last year. That's double what we saw just a few years ago, and it's just, again, it's opioid-related deaths. There could be other drugs that are also leading to fatalities. So today on International Overdose Awareness Day, a number of people are speaking out. The theme is recognizing people who go unseen. Amanda Duar is founder and executive director of Strength Counseling Services. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. How often are you working with people who have been through something like this, have, have witnessed an overdose or have had a loved one or maybe even a coworker or other die this way? I have been working with the people who've been affected residually by overdoses uh, for 13 years. So this day is about recognizing those who go unseen. What does this mean, those who go unseen? Like, we're not just talking family members, are we? No. There are effects that ripple through communities when somebody dies of an overdose. And the effects are widespread for long periods of time. So it could be anybody who had any kind of contact with that person. But even further from that, anybody who... Uh, who is affected by hearing about the death of somebody, period. It could be anybody in the entire community or even far-reaching through other communities or even other countries. Yeah, it could be a loved one, of course. And then I'm thinking of all the, you know, there's advocates out there who daily might see this in certain neighborhoods or communities. There might be first responders who are day after day after day going out there, Amanda, and, and witnessing this in our country. Are you hearing from them as well? We are. We are um, inadvertently sometimes a lot of people will come to us and say, I have a lot of anxiety or I have trauma. And sometimes people are not able to exactly pinpoint what it is that's affecting them. And once we get into it with them, we get to know them, we start exploring their life story. It's very common that we hear how deeply they were affected by the death of, of someone, whether they knew them or not, and how it impacts their anxiety or depression levels. So it's very far-reaching, certainly. 
So there's the ripple effect of those who who have seen that kind of loss, Amanda. But I'm I'm also wondering about the people out there who are struggling with an addiction. And, and I think, and I know you deal with that too. I think too often people make this assumption that you know when it comes to an overdose, well that person didn't care about themselves, or that you know they 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 could have found help or sought help. What do you want people to hear today when it comes to just the deep tentacles of addiction? I would really like people to know that it's a, a massive misconception that, that these people who are struggling in addiction, they don't care about themselves or they don't want to get well. Oftentimes, they absolutely want to get well and they absolutely care about themselves. Addiction is not something that they can control. And so they're, they're struggling in that. And they, they might try and get well. Maybe they don't know how to get well. But the journey of getting well when you're struggling in addiction is so difficult and so lengthy and the, the person struggling may do their best and they, and they may not succeed, but that doesn't mean they didn't want to get well. Most of the time, they, that's all they want is to feel better and get well and they can't, can't do it. That number Brett and I shared off the top, Amanda, you know, 20, on average, a 20 opioid related deaths per day in this country. That's double what we saw in 2019. It's a, it's a, it's a loaded question. What's going on? You know, what, what, what are we seeing out there that's contributing to this huge rise in deaths like that, which means there's even more people doing it and maybe not dying. Well, I think the availability of the substances and we're talking opioids as well as many other substances, uh, the availability is on the rise and it continues. This is a battle that we're fighting a war that we're fighting uh, across the country, across other countries who are importing it in. I think this is a massive systemic problem because this is this is not starting at the place of the person struggling in addiction. This is not their fault. This is there are so many layers of of how these people get access to these substances and the laws and the regulations uh, that contribute to this person's ability to use and continuance of use. So on the systemic level, there are so many players that need to step up so we can save more lives. Amanda Dewar is founder and executive director of Strength Counseling Services on on this International Overdose Awareness Day. Amanda, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today and tomorrow. And for today, Thursday, Small Town Salute Day, every Thursday at 735. For today, we are asking you to join in that conversation. We're going to open the phone lines and ask you, we want to know about your small town summer summary. Did your summer adventures get you out of Winnipeg and somewhere else into southern Manitoba? What does Liz have to say, Loren? Liz said she wants to salute Riverton. That's where she went to see an Icelandic Heritage Museum, so that's kind of cool. And this text from our next listener, if you see it there, Brett, uh, it's more work-related, but he's been all over the place. Summer adventures don't cover it, says this listener. I work with the water bombers. I've been to Gimli, Flin Flon, Dryden, and now Yellowknife. The drive from the Paw to Flin Flon is still the best in the province. Jeff Fortier, you spent some time up in Flin Flon. Can you... Confirm this, the drive from the Paw to Flin Flon? But it's like 45 minutes-ish? I don't know. Something like that. This is like 11 years ago. That's where I did my internship. Do you remember if it was lovely? Um, 
It's uh, I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah. You might not well, even remember. No, no, I, I remember. It's, you know, it's just it's it's nice. Not really my cup of tea. Oh, I'm just trying to be nice. <laughs> I would love to get. I've never. I think I've what's I've flown to Churchill and I've driven to Thompson as a kid. Driven to the Paw as an adult. But I don't think I've been much further than that on the roads. Yeah, I, I definitely have not. So that's that's a part of Manitoba that I have yet to explore. But hey, thanks for sharing your experience in the water bombers. That's pretty incredible. And I mentioned uh, Seddon's Corner that I turned on Seddon's Corner on my way out to Pinawa. And one of our listeners says, hey, make sure next time you're out there, make sure this is Lorelai who says, make sure you stop at Seddon's Corner store for the ice cream. Delicious. Mm. I love the small town recommendations for food yeah. stops. They're never wrong. No. Like ever. I, I can't think of one where I thought, well, that was disappointing. Thanks for nothing, listener. Yeah, we listen <laughs> when we asked, uh, asked for recommendations for Clear Lake, I got about a dozen recommendations. We ended up at the White House for breakfast. No, I did not have the cinnamon buns. I wanted actual breakfast. But the lineup for the cinnamon buns was crazy. And then we ate uh, dinner uh, at least one of the nights at 1929. Ooh, what'd you have there? Set a burger. Fries, it's delicious. We had a kind of like appetizer night there that was really good. Still one of the best at Clear Lake is T.R. McCoy's, more Italian. Excellent. Okay, I'll try that next year when we go back for the new Are nine. Are you going back? Yeah, June 21st of the 25th. So this is like a thing thing. Yeah. Minidosa, it'll get you. Sucked <laughs> you right in. Minidosa, Clear Lake, Nipawa. Small town salute, small town summer summary. Pamela joins us now on 680 CJOB. Pamela, good morning to you. Good morning. What you got for us? What'd you do this summer? Just going up to Gimli a few times, actually, because Gimli is such a great town. And uh, staying there at the the lake view, right on the uh, water and jumping in the incredible beach, which is always windy. Right, and so the waves are always so huge. So my son loves to jump in the waves, and it's just such a great town. Where do you like to eat? Because anytime we talk about Gimli, we always get a tsunami of restaurant recommendations. Well, we would go to Chris's Fish and Chips across the street, but it, I think they had a fire. Oh. Yeah, I think they had a fire, so I think they're redoing that. That um, so we just went down, you know, from there to. I don't remember, is it Sand Dollar or something like that? But wherever you can get good fish, that's where we go. But we would go to Chris's Fish and Chips, for sure. Okay, well, we'll have to look into that. Uh, sorry to hear that. But, Pamela, glad you got to enjoy some time in Gimli. Thanks for calling us this morning. You betcha. Thank you. Jason is uh, next on 680 CJOB. And, uh, Jason, what about you? Where has where your summer taking you outside of the peg? Oh, I went up to uh, Souris this year and uh, did some uh, rock hunting in the agate pits with my family. Some rock hunting? Yeah, so up in Souris, they have uh, agate pits, and uh, you can go up and you can find a whole bunch of different agates and fossils and petrified wood. It's amazing. We go every year. That is really cool. I'd heard about the Souris Swinging Bridge, which is really neat. Did you hit that up? Yeah, we hit that up every year, too. We get some pictures, you know, um, see how much the boys are growing every year, and we can line them up and have some fun. Oh, it's that's trip. that's awesome, Jason. I'm going to have to look. We're going to have to bring someone on about these agate pits. I didn't know about that. I've never even heard of yeah, agate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And then we also went to, uh, 
to Morton and checked out Bruce. Oh, the Mosasaur. Super fun day trip. Yeah, yeah, that was a great trip as well. We hadn't been there before. It was our first time, but uh, lots of fun. How, so you say you go every year to do this rock hunting. So yeah. how much of, how much do you bring home with you? Well, um, there's, there's a small fee, and we usually bring home about uh, 10 pounds of rocks, and we display them in our garden. And then we also um, take the really nice ones, and we kind of put them in little specimen jars and keep them in the house as, you know, mementos and that sort of thing, too. Wow. This is regarded as North America's largest deposit of semi-precious gems. <laughs> it's super cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, you learn something new every day. Jason, thank you very much for this. That sounds like a fun trip. And by the way, when you go out to Souris, um, any food recommendations? Yeah, there's a little um, uh, a little burger joint. I can't remember the, the, the name of it exactly, but it's um, just down the street from the Agate shop. And I, I believe it's only seasonal, but the burgers and fries there are great. It's just a couple blocks down the street from it. Would okay. it be the uh, really dairy bar? There you go. I think that's it. The Dairy Bar. All right. I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Well, great suggestions. Awesome. It sounds like a fun, and that's a great family tradition. Uh, Jason, thank you very much for telling us about this. We appreciate it, sir. Yeah, take care. Ronald joins us up next. Good morning, Ronald. Good morning. Where has your summer taken you, or perhaps maybe you've got something planned for the long weekend? Okay, so me and my wife, we, uh, we had ventured out to uh, the uh, Friendship Trail in St. Adolphe. Uh, it's fairly new. Uh, this was developed in the uh, 2020 pandemic uh, by somebody that I know. Uh, it's about two miles long. It's on the west side of San Adolf along the river trail. Uh, it's just gorgeous. There's uh, all kinds of markings. Uh, there's going to be a big Métis celebration there on September the 30th to commemorate uh, the Métis culture. Uh, there's nature. It's a nature walk. There's all kinds of uh, things in there. Um, there's things for kids. There's like, yeah, there's like a Flintstone park. It, it's it's stunning. It's on Facebook. And since 2020, oh, wow. uh, I, I can tell you it saved a lot of people's mm-hmm. lives uh, mentally because uh, you can walk along the uh, river there and there's a bonfire pit. It's gorgeous. There's it's, birds. Wow. It's super cool for kids, too, because they have I, – I, I live – in that area. And so we, you're right during the pandemic, just by the, out of the goodness of their heart, a local resident started building this up for something to do because you were bored, but you also needed Correct. to get outside. And so for the yeah. kids in the winter, it was fun. Cause there's little pockets. You can slide down the yeah. little Hills, but they yeah. built, um, Oh, there's what I'm trying. There's all kinds of, uh, uh, trails, you know, like names of trails on signs. It's, uh, there's all kinds of things to do there. It's, it's gorgeous and it's peaceful and, uh, yeah, there's nature, there's deer, the eagle, the owls. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little uh, piece of heaven uh, in St. Adults. Like, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible stuff, Ronald. Thank you very much. I've never heard of this. It looks gorgeous. So thank you for that. We'll sneak one more in with Ian. Hello there, Ian. Hey, good morning. Where you uh, been? We love to head down to uh, St. Mallow and to head to the beach and... Uh, little place called the Barefoot Cafe for ice cream and snacks and food for the kids. And just a, a great place to go uh, drive 45 minutes to, to get out of the city and enjoy the beach and, and the playgrounds and everything there for families. Can you actually be barefoot in the Barefoot Cafe or is it an outdoor venue? Ha! <laughs> huh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit of like an outdoor walk-up, uh, you know, food uh, ice cream shack. 
Yeah, I, I, I have some buddies who head out there to St. Malo with their family every summer. It is, and it's a great beach, and it's not as uh, like jam packed as some of the other ones. So that's a great option, Ian. Yeah, right on. Might be raining where you are as well. We did see a bit of a sprinkling here in downtown Winnipeg. Right now with McGarry and McNabb mackling off today, tomorrow, as rising interest rates are boxing many individual buyers out of Canada's housing market. Brokerage Royal LePage says Canadians are increasingly teaming up with family and friends just to afford a home. So this comes from an online survey they did of 500 respondents through Leger, and it showed 6% of homeowners currently co-own their property with someone other than their spouse or significant other. And of that group, 89% say they co-own with family, while 7% co-own with friends. And more than half do so with a parent or parent-in-law. Karen Yulevsky is COO of Royal LePage Real Estate Services. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Thanks for having me. What do we read into this? Because I know co-ownership isn't new. Is it, is it safe to say it's on the rise? That's right. So two things really stand out from our survey. The first is that co-ownership is on the rise. We've surveyed our realtors in addition to the public, and we determined that our realtors also are seeing an uptick in people searching for properties outside of with a spouse or significant other. The second thing is that the reason behind co-ownership is primarily about affordability. Our survey overwhelmingly said that affordability was a major motivating factor for the decision to purchase as a co-owner. And for younger people, people between the ages of 25 and 34, 83% of those people indicated that affordability was the number one concern and reason for purchasing this way. Is this a coast-to-coast thing? Like, are, are, like, are we seeing this in, in Manitoba? Well, there's a direct correlation to housing prices, right? The affordability issue is due to the fact that housing prices are are rising. Now, if we look at our major urban centers, such as Toronto or Vancouver, more likely you're going to see people struggle with affordability in those places. Our survey didn't directly assess whether it was based on geography, but we do know that the larger parts of Canada, the larger cities, are seeing uh, greater issues with affordability. What sort of uh, purchases are we talking about they're making then together, either with a friend or with their parent? Is it side-by-sides? Is it condos? How is it working? Well, a survey indicated that it was single-family residences, so uh, those are detached homes that were primarily being purchased. Uh, We didn't uh, ask the why behind that, but if you look at that type of property, one, it's going to be bigger than, let's say, a condominium, Uh, and that indicates if more than one person is buying, that perhaps more than one person is going to also be living in the home, parent and child, as an example. So a bigger home may may make more sense. There are instances as well where people are buying recreational properties in a co-ownership manner, uh, cottages and cabins, things of that nature. And those are often single family uh, detached homes as well. We just have about 60 seconds left here. But before we let you go, Karen, if somebody does enter into a co-ownership situation and then wants to get out, like if one of the parties wants to get out, uh, do you have any words of caution about that or how does one go about doing that? Yes, so this is such an important component of this purchase uh, strategy. So many good things can come of this, uh, affordability, uh, you know, family support, lots of good reasons around co-ownership. However, the key to success for this type of transaction is clear, 
upfront communication and a well-documented partnership. So we would strongly recommend at Royal LePage that people seek legal assistance with this. Get a, get a contract in place that sets out the financial obligations of the parties. What happens if one party can't meet that obligation? How selling the property will be determined any buyout options, uh, and if people are going to use the property at different times, what does that look like? Who's responsible for maintenance? All those finer details that go into home ownership that you might not think about when you're purely looking from a price perspective. Karen Yulevsky, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. A pleasure. Thank you. Karen Yulevsky, COO of Royal LePage Real Estate Services, and you can find more at cjob.com or globalnews.ca. The headline, Canadians buying homes with family, friends to break into market. From Royal LePage. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today and tomorrow. In a moment, we are going to talk about another development with AI. But before that, a reminder, we've got Banjo Bowl tickets to give away. And we're asking you to tell us about your small town summer adventures that you've had thus far or perhaps are planning as we head into the Labor Day weekend. And on the terms of the small town foods, listener says we went out to Stonewall and took in some delish pizza from the den, the pizza den, and we enjoyed the fair they have. And as far as Stonewall goes, I've only been out there like in town once, went out to the the Boonstra Strawberry Farms, and then we stopped in town for a bite. And we just, we didn't know. I think the place is called Sig's. It's just a little diner, just your typical kind of greasy spoon diner and had one of the best burgers and fries ever. Loved it, loved it, loved it. So good. I'm going to turn this, split the script here. Have you ever had a burger you didn't like? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. hated? Like you've had like, a, this is a terrible burger reaction or? Yeah. Okay. It's happened a few times. Oh, and the- I'm not going to identify the, the places. <laughs> no. Never at it, never in a in this kind of, like any time I've gone to a small, I don't know, like maybe they just enjoy this, the you know, eating outside of Winnipeg experience more, but the burger shacks, the the little restaurants, I ate, I think it's called the R- Riverside Roxy in Selkirk. I can't remember if that's what it's called, but I had a really pleasant experience there. But it's anytime I get a bad burger, it's it's in uh, typically at like a like a chain, a rush restaurant. joint. Yeah, I just because this morning we've both several times talked about where we've enjoyed these great burgers, and then I thought, wait a minute, like I just am I just like a burger? I'm in pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to get it wrong, but actually, and don't forget, the Burger Week starts tomorrow, so that goes for a couple of weeks. And we'll pick a winner, by the way, for the Banjo Bowl tickets at 9.15. In the meantime, more than half of post-secondary students, more than half of post-secondary students are using AI to help them with their assignments, even though 60% say it counts as cheating. So this comes from a new study by the business advisory firm KPMG. You've been hearing a bit about it throughout our newscast this morning. And their data also shows that 9 in 10 students who use AI saw the quality of their work improve. 7 out of 10, 70%, saw their grades improve. So what are teachers and professors supposed to do with all this information? Kurt Schultz is director at the Brandon University Center for Teaching, Technology, and Learning. Good morning, Kurt. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. I have so many questions about this, uh, and I want to get into that whole is it or isn't it cheating aspect in a second. But for you at the school, are you able to quantify how often you're seeing this? Yeah, our our faculty collectively have probably read millions of essays, so they've seen uh, they've seen when students uh, know do the work and when students don't do the work. They're pretty good at detecting that. So 
I believe every faculty saw some samples of AI in the work in the spring and the, the, the winter session. But not a lot. Like, there were a handful out of thousands and thousands of submissions that were uh, clearly AI and, and, and uh, created consequences for the students doing it. How is it detected? Well, there's some, a few trade secrets, but uh, it's, it's still a product that's being beta tested. So, you know, until it gets better, it's still pretty obviously uh, generic. It doesn't speak in the student's voice. Uh, and sometimes it's glaringly different from the student's voice. And, and there are a couple of other things that I won't mention because uh, it it's more helpful if the profs know that and the, and the students do not. In terms of the student's voice, what if you're in a class with like three, because I, I was in some big classes at the U of M in my first couple of years with like 100, 200, 300 students, yep. and uh, guaranteed the professors did, probably didn't know most of our voices. So in that kind of a situation, how would they know, the, the, the be able to, to detect that something might be off? Well, you know, we're talking about writing assessments. Chat GPT is being used in, in some writing assessments in some cases. There are a lot of other ways of assessing students, and Chat GPT isn't, isn't good at that yet. So, um, you know, you can, you can find out in other ways, especially if it's a big class. You, you, you're not typically going to read 140 essays a week from one class. That's just that's a workload that nobody would take on. So when we're talking about um, this concept of using it to, to help out, you said that you know sometimes it's obvious. I've I've seen an article actually that was written. It was it was a joke tourism article in the end, but it was about Winnipeg, and I thought this has to have been AI. Like it just sounds so robotic, and it turns out it was. So it was obvious. But if they're just using it in bits and pieces, you know, maybe just to help with a turn of phrase or other, is this cheating? Well. What we're advocating is uh, transparency, right? That is the best way to do almost anything. Look, we're going to learn this together. Our, our current policy is if you didn't do the work, don't take the credit for it. So that whether it's AI or contract cheating or whatever, you're, you're still in violation of, of AI. So that's cheating. But each of the professors is exploring it in their own way, and in some cases, it's uh, it's going to be very useful and very helpful in the in the field that we're training students for. What's so, contract cheating? Sorry to interrupt. Just you mentioned oh, that. Yeah, contract cheating is is where um, a few students will pay money to have someone else actually write the essay. So this is, you know, there's been a form of plagiarism or a form of contract cheating. You know, people might get a friend to help them out. That's been yeah. going on for a long, long time, Kurt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the conversations around AI and the concern or the maybe even the excitement? Like, you know, there's the good, the bad, and ugly of anything. What are professors and students saying to you about it? Um, well, I mean, the ugly of it is currently it's pretty transparent when AI has been used in an essay. Uh, the bad is it's... It's tempting for some students who are rushed or in, in trouble or feel like they need, they need it to, uh, to take this free way out and, and you know, do something in 20 seconds and then submit that. But <laughs> free isn't always good, and, and, and that is problematic for the student, and, and we, we discourage that. Now, the good of it is that it could speed up all kinds of research practices and developments when it's better, uh, 
better understood, better used. We all have to practice with it and work with it. So current policy is uh, every prof should make clear at the beginning of the class just how they want it to be used, whether we're going to use it transparently for generating some ideas, and then you're going to make, and transparency, of course, means you make it clear as the student in your submitted essay, I use it for these things, right? That's transparency. To uh, just an absolute ban, you know, we really want you to do absolutely all the work because you're just learning, so we want you to, um, well, just to do nothing uh, with AI and do, make your own struggles so you can do your own learning. Before we let you go here, Kurt, you know, when I, when I think about AI, of course, since we've been discussing this for the last couple of years, really, the jokes always come up. They haven't any of these, haven't they watched movies? But yeah, that that does have people somewhat scared, like, where is AI going? But like when I think about when I was in high school and wanted to do research, I had to go to a library and look up books and stuff. I didn't have access to Google. So, I mean, people have been using embracing computers to, to make things a bit easier for years now. So is, is yep. this just the evolution of that? Like rather than run away from this technology or fear it to just try to embrace it and make it work for us? Uh, it, it may well be, but it's, it's still early days. I mean, we're hearing reports of mode collapse where the AI gets so referential, self-referential that it is basically spitting out gibberish. So uh, it may well be that, that this becomes one other thing. Like, I'm old enough to remember the calculator coming in, and uh, that was a boon to many, and other people uh, were really angry because students wouldn't be able to do math in their heads anymore. It's a good point. I mean, it's, we, we have these tools that come in our lives, uh, you know, every generation. Before One last question, Kurt. I just thought of, I'm curious, do you know what the student's reaction is when they get caught? I mean, people would have cut and paste maybe from an encyclopedia 30 years ago and then from an article 20 years ago. But when it's spitting out stuff that's so obviously not their voice, how, how do they not think they're going to get caught? Every student comes with a different level of preparation, and some absolutely believe they're invincible and they're the cleverest thing uh, ever seen. So that's a few, but, you know, they get caught and they go, oh, well, maybe this is a learning experience, or you just hate me. So, Is the punishment a failed grade, or what is it? Uh, it can range anywhere from uh, a, a failed grade to expulsion, depending on, you know, the history of the student and their, you know, intent. All right. Well, Kurt, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate the time, sir. Oh, well, thanks for calling. Have a good day. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today and tomorrow. In our next segment, we're going to give away our Banjo Bowl tickets. By the way, we gave away tickets for the Fall Fair happening at Red River Exhibition Park this weekend. Forte, who won those tickets? That would be Lonnie Muth. Lonnie, congratulations. Have fun at the fall fair. One last kick at the can for summer. I know summer doesn't end until the 23rd. The equinox, I think, is 1.50 a.m. on September 23rd. But uh, for a lot of people, a long weekend, the Labor Day weekend is, that's it. And uh, we're asking you to tell us about your small town summer adventures. And we've got one from Lockport. Oh, my goodness. My parents used to love this place. As a teenager, I flipped burgers at Sonia's stand in Lockport. 40 years later, my husband calls me a French fry snob because every single time (laughs) I can't help but compare my burgers and fries to Sonia's stand burgers and fries. This person lives an hour away from Lockport, 
poor but always craves the best cheese nip with fried onions from Sonia's. Okay. Yeah, my uh, my parents used to speak fondly about stopping at Sonia's. So that's that, that's one that I haven't tried. There's For every place that I've tried, we always get five or six suggestions on places I have not. Oh, man, the burger does look good. Yeah? And Forte, they have Tahiti Treat at Sonia's <laughs> at Lockport, which is well, your coveted drink, is it not? Yeah, and like that's what I go to the States for. Well, you could just go to Lockport, you fool. Wow, I didn't know that <laughs> up until now. And apparently the place that's like across the street from us here, uh, I can't remember what it's called. I can never remember what it's called, but... Someone's going to text us right away because there is a place downtown and every time you bring up Tahiti Treat. It's on Fort. Oh, uh, is that uh, Tia's? Yes, there it is. Ding, ding, ding. You can also go to the LC. They have alcoholic Tahiti I know. I got one of those bad boys in my uh, fridge right now. Excellent. Yeah, so keep those coming for a chance to win. We're going to pick our winner in our next segment for the Banjo Bowl tickets. And then after Global News at 930, by the way, we want to tell you about a really cool event. It's called the Melee Gala, formerly the Melee at the Met. It is described as Manitoba's premier boxing event, and it's all in support of a great cause. But right now, let's revisit the discussion on co-ownership because Royal LePage says its realtors are seeing a rise and the number of people getting into co-ownership. So this came from a survey that they did through Leger, and they found the people who are getting into co-ownership, 89% say they co-own with a family member, so it's typically a parent or a parent in the law, while 7% co-own with friends. At 7.50, we spoke to Karen Levesky of Royal Page and asked her where this is happening and why. The right correlation to housing prices, right? The affordability issue is due to the fact that housing prices are, are rising. Now, if we look at our major urban centers, such as Toronto or Vancouver, more likely you're going to see people struggle with affordability in those places. Our survey didn't directly assess whether it was based on geography, but we do know that the larger parts of Canada, the larger cities, are seeing uh, greater issues with affordability. What sort of uh, purchases are we talking about they're making then together, either with a friend or with their parent? Is it side-by-sides? Is it condos? How is it working? Well, a survey indicated that it was single-family residences, so uh, those are detached homes that were primarily being purchased. Uh, We didn't uh, ask the why behind that, but if you look at that type of property, one, it's going to be bigger than, let's say, a condominium, Uh, and that indicates if more than one person is buying, that perhaps more than one person is going to also be living in the home, parent and child, as an example. So a bigger home may may make more sense. There are instances as well where people are buying recreational properties in a co-ownership manner, uh, cottages and cabins, things of that nature. And those are often single family uh, detached homes as well. Fascinating. And for sure, it's probably happening in Vancouver and Toronto more. She referenced that, right? Those are the bigger markets that have way bigger housing prices in the million dollars for just an average home. And so I can understand that that might happen more often there, but it it is happening everywhere. And I'm curious if there's builders in our audience, what you're seeing in terms of even those granny suites, maybe like, you know, as, as we talk about costs and the cost of living and lack of personal care homes, do you see more of those being asked in new builds? And we are asking people at cjob.com if they would do this because your gut reaction this morning was that <laughs> you'd essentially rather be kicked in the face. <laughs> yeah, I said, repeatedly. I jokingly said I'd rather die. I just, I, I couldn't go back to a, a roommate 
situation unless it was like, say, a, a, you know, a romantic partner, for example. But our question of the day at CJOB.com, a Royal LePage survey says co-ownership of homes is on the rise. Would you ever buy a home with a friend or a family member? Yes, I would. Yes, I already have. Maybe or no chance. So you can cast your vote at CJOB.com. But I, I certainly see the practicality. Like, let's say for as an example, when I, I and I mentioned this earlier, how I lived in a home or I, I had a house ten years ago, and I had uh, several neighbors on my street who were from India, and they were all in the same family, so they were buying homes as close together as they could. And I think in a lot of instances as well, uh, sometimes uh, you know, if they, these families, if they're bringing if they're bringing their relatives over to live in Canada, they'll buy the the duplexes. It's just one example, mm-hmm. but I could see that, especially for people who are new to the country and want to be close to their loved ones. I think there there are certainly some a lot of practical uh, effects and the, the the cost savings for sure in owning a home. But I just I, I couldn't do it because when I when I first moved into my house. Uh, we decided that we would have a roommate to help pay for, oh, okay. and that was a that was a dumb like dumb. A, you were a couple with a roommate, yeah, and that was a stupid yeah. stupid mistake, and I and I, I regret it. I regret it. It's one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made. Just even buying that house, but then having a roommate, we just couldn't afford the house, uh, even with the roommate. Never mind once the roommate moved out. Uh, so yeah, that was a mistake. And now that I live on my own, I just couldn't. Pot- Somebody suggested to me a couple of years ago. Uh, I need. Uh, I'm looking for a roommate. You want to move in together? And I told uh, told him to go fly a kite. Yeah, not a chance. It's hard when you get to a certain point in your life in terms of wanting to just have your own space. But if you want to have a big space, say you want to. And I had asked that question about whether it's condos or homes because I had this assumption. We had talked earlier about it, Brett, that it was the side by sides. You know, you might go all in on you have one half of the duplex and, yeah. and the family member has the other. And, and I could wrap my head around that. And when she said it's no, it's detached homes. For the most part, I thought that was fascinating because maybe you do it where one gets the upstairs and one gets the downstairs. I don't know. Maybe you do it where like who gets the, the big bedroom? How do you decide these things? Good question. One's going to come with a bathroom and the other is not. We had one of our listeners earlier say that I just went have have halfers on uh, a Lexus with my sister. Co-owning, so they own a car together. Like, well, only one of us can drive it at a time anyway. So why not? I, yeah, that but works then who, for you. how do you divide? What, what's the contract there? You know, like who has it more? Yeah. Who care? Who cleans it? That's the other thing. That's like roommates, right? One's always dirtier than the other. Oh yeah. One always has a more full fridge. One's stocked more. One wants to watch certain things. One's louder. One's a night owl. One's an early bird. Ugh. You've talked me right out of it. Yeah. And then uh, with the car, like how close do you live together? How does that work? It is McGarry and McNabb mackling off today and tomorrow before we give away tickets for the Banjo Bowl on your small town summer adventures. We're asking you also about co-ownership of homes. Would you do it? Because it's a rising trend. <laughs> and this one, I, I shouldn't laugh, but I couldn't help it. Loren? This person says, I lived with my mother-in-law for more than a decade so we could pay off our first home. Would I do it again? Never. I can never get those years back. It definitely was not good for the relationship, they say. Yeah. Marina says they uh, bought a camper with another couple and the experiment lasted just one year. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Marina says it always seemed the other couple needed the use of it more than we did. Doesn't mean it was bad, but that's where it becomes hard, right? Like you got to have a contract that no, no, it's going to be completely even. Yeah. Oh, even if even moving in with somebody in an apartment, 
Like if you move in, I, I moved in with somebody and I demanded my name be on the lease just to protect myself in the event that the situation mm-hmm. went south, that I would still have the right to be there. Right. And things did go south. So I was glad that I made that I put my foot down and made that demand. So, yeah, you got to you got to lay out an agreement before you yeah. take this step. The maintenance and all the rest. Uh, it, it could get ugly. Yeah. So keep weighing in at 204-780-6868. But on the, uh, the subject of small town adventures, because that's what we did for our small town salute this morning. We just asked you, where have you gone outside of Winnipeg in southern Manitoba or in Manitoba? Not just southern Manitoba. We had a lot of people talking about heading up north to Flin Flon. Even Johnny's uh, kids. Uh, listener Johnny says going up for a volleyball tournament for his daughter in Flin Flon. But our this is our winner. And normally it's a text message that is our winner, but we had the opportunity to crack open the phone lines. And this is what Jason had to say. Oh, I went up to uh, Tourist this year and uh, did some uh, rock hunting in the agate pits with my family. Some rock hunting? Yeah, so up in Tourist they have uh, agate pits and... Uh, you can go up and you can find a whole bunch of different agates and fossils and petrified wood. It's amazing. We go every year. That is really cool. I'd heard about the sewer swinging bridge, which is really neat. Did you hit that up? Yeah, yeah we hit that up every year, too. We get some pictures, you know, um, see how much the boys are growing every year, and we can line them up and have some fun. Oh, that's, trip. that's awesome, Jason. I'm going to have to look. We're going to have to bring someone on about these agate pits. I didn't know about that. You say you go every year to do this rock hunting so yeah. how much how much do you bring home with you? Um, there's, there's a small fee, and we usually bring home about uh, 10 pounds of rocks, and we display them in our garden. And then we also um, take the really nice ones, and we kind of put them in little specimen jars and keep them in the house as, you know, mementos and that sort of thing, too. I've never heard of agate, by the way. And if you're like me, if you want to look it up, A-G-A-T-E is how you spell it. And indeed, I see why. I, I get the draw. Beautiful. These rocks look beautiful. So to have that on display in your garden or in your home, uh, <laughs> no wonder they make this trip every year. It talked about on the website it being one of the premier destinations for these semi-precious rocks in North America. And it had grabbed our attention so much that we're going to do this for a small town salute in a couple weeks' time. We've got a listener who's a geologist who's going to tell us a bit about it. And he travels all over the province and hits up a lot of cool spots. That's right. This listener goes by the name in our contact list of the great and powerful Wazoo. So we're going to meet the great and powerful Wazoo and learn more about the agate pits in Suris. Uh, so thank you for that. And thank you, Jason. And congratulations. You win the tickets for the Banjo Bowl. Have you ever wanted to go to a full-fledged Vegas-style boxing extravaganza? Well, you can, and you don't have to go to Las Vegas to do it because it's happening right here in downtown Winnipeg on Thursday, September 14th at the Met. Yeah, two weeks today, so it's called the Melee Gala, formerly Melee at the Met, and it's hosted by the United Boxing Club. Ryan Savage is the founder of UBC. He's the past president of Boxing Canada and a partner at the law firm of Taylor McCaffrey, LLP. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. That's quite the background from boxer to to law firm. We'll get more into that in a second. But first, what is the Melee Gala? So the Melee Gala is, uh, it's a unique event that features both 
uh, international boxing, some of the best boxers uh, on the planet uh, on the Olympic boxing uh, cycle, uh, combined with what we call a corporate challenge, where uh, whereby you know people train for three months at a boxing club and compete for their first time against another uh, corporate challenge participant, and so it brings sort of both spectrums, uh, um, both sides of the sport, both uh, those competing for the first time and those who have uh, been on the stage many times together under one roof, and it makes for a pretty awesome event. And when you talk about the the Vegas style spectacle, what can one expect at the Melee Gala? Yeah, it, it's a pretty cool event. The, the vibe there is uh, quite unique, and you know it, it's decked out with all the lighting and the DJ and, and everything. And so we've got a pretty good uh, video um, uh, attached to it. So, like I say, it makes for a pretty exciting event. So I talked about a bit about your background professionally, but also you're a seven-time national team boxer. You've competed in the World Championships, the Francophone Games, the Commonwealth Games, and joined the 2008 Olympic team in Beijing as a coach and sparring partner. Uh, so many years involved in the sport. What drives, what drives it? Yeah, 35 years in the sport. And, and uh, you know, like I say, I've been involved at pretty much every level, including most recently as, as president. And, and uh, so, you know, the sport of boxing has all sorts of benefits that, that you can derive from it. And, and you know, I, I had the benefit of being able to travel the world. And I was fortunate enough to have my uh, university paid for, including my law degree, uh, through my through my sport. And so, you know, it's just about giving back, right? It's just about making sure that other people can benefit from the sport in the same way that I did. And so I started United Boxing Club in 2006. It's a not-for-profit organization, so there's no shareholders and all the money sort of stays within the club and goes back. And, you know, we're very much about giving back. And, and, and so, uh, you know, both within the club, members sort of help out other members. Everybody's working as a volunteer. But then as an organization, we very much are interested in trying to help out the community. And, and we uh, actively look for ways to partner with charitable charities and not-for-profit organizations. We run all sorts of free programming, uh, um, and, and of course, made the Melee Gala is just one aspect in which uh, we give back to various charities. Our guest is Ryan Savage. We're talking about the Melee Gala happening Thursday, September 14th at the Met. And in terms of fitness, because I know a lot of people who have gotten into boxing over the years uh, just as a, as a fitness regime. Uh, so I guess for somebody who maybe is bored of the gym or just hates going to the gym but wants to try something different is is boxing a good way to get fit it, it, it is and i you know i'd encourage you to talk to you know people who have come through our corporate challenge including the ones that are in it right now and you know the feedback that we get on it is, is pretty phenomenal and, and uh, you know regardless of whether or not they win their bout or even if they get a bout they very much enjoy the experience almost always they continue training on with us past the corporate challenge past their bout and, you know, in many cases, you know, the, this is life changing for them in the sense of, you know, a significant drop in weight, uh, a turn to, to become more healthier. Uh, and, and so, you know, like I say, the feedback that we get from the corporate challenge participants is quite, uh, quite positive. And, and uh, you know, it's really a, it's a, it's a pretty um, a tough uh, thing uh, going through boxing, both you know mentally and physically. But you know, once you once you do it and once you experience it, it's one of those things that um, you know once you do it, you, you fall in love and you can't you can't get uh, away from it. So there's also when you do this uh, event in two weeks' time, the melee. There's a charity that's connected to it. The it's in support of the Canadian Animal Blood Bank. Why that? 
Yeah, that, so good question. So yeah, every year we have sort of a charity of choice that we support. And so this year we worked with our event sponsor, M-Builds, um, and together we uh, selected the uh, Canadian Animal Blood Bank. It, you know, it's an important charity. It, it, it uh, assists uh, obviously with dogs. And we, as we all know, dogs are an important uh, asset and, and resource for humans, uh, you know, assisting both in terms of mental health and physical health. And so, you know, we often look for charities that are, uh, in quotation marks, underdogs. I get it. <laughs> Um, oh, I so, get it, and I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's one of those charities that often gets overlooked, right? It's just one of those things that, you know, we all benefit from from animals and dogs in particular. And, and, and so, you know, a charity like this very much needs our support. And, you know, they don't they often don't get the, the, the notoriety that, you know, some of the other big charities would get. And so, you know, like I say, that that's part of the reason why we wanted to support them. Well, that's part of the reason why we wanted to talk to you as well, because we spend a lot of time here on this radio station trying to shine a light on as many important organizations as we can, but we just, you know, it, it would be impossible to to do them all. Uh, right. So when uh, this came across my desk, so to speak, I thought, oh, yeah, that's a good cause, and it's a cool event promoting a good cause, so good for you for selecting this one. And just in terms of, um, you know, when we talk to coaches and we talk to athletes and they tell us about the lessons that can be taken away from whatever their sport might be and applied to regular everyday life. So in your eyes, what does boxing do for that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, a big fan of all sports. You know, I really think it's, it's critical to the development of, of, of youth in particular. Um, you know, for, for me, uh, it, it certainly was. You know, boxing, again, is one of those sports that, um, you know, it can be a bit intimidating. You know, you walk into a club and it can be quite intimidating. And so we work hard to make sure that that's, not the case at our gym and we try to be you know as friendly and as open as possible uh and you know but at the same time we push our athletes right it's about pushing your body and, and making sure that you're disciplined and able to sort of commit to the regiment that that's required you know if you're going to compete uh you know it's not like other sports right it, it's a combat sport and and you need to ensure that you're ready and so uh, not all of our athletes uh aim to compete and not all of them are comp- competitive athletes we have a number of athletes or a number of people who just are there to get a workout and that's fine too and we, we work with them just as closely and just as carefully as we do with our competitive team athletes but it's, it's all about you know what are your goals uh, and how can we help you get there right and, and trying to help them become better people and and, and uh, obviously uh, more fit and, and a little bit more confident in themselves and of course uh, with the ability to defend themselves when needed I see on the website for the United Boxing Club's club that one of the people you've coached is Brant Butt. Do you mean Brant of Endeavor Wealth Management? He's also a boxer? Yes, yeah, he is. Yeah, he, he's one of our head coaches. He was a <laughs> former national team athlete who came through uh, United Boxing Club. The other athlete that we uh, put on the national team in boxing anyway is Brad Katona, who's mm-hmm. uh, in Winnipeg, uh, I think, this weekend. And uh, for those who don't know, he just won uh, the first person ever to, to have win, won the Ultimate Fighter um, twice. And so he's back into the UFC now and very excited uh, for him. And, and, and so, yeah, we've uh, produced a number of national champions, including Brad and Brad. This is how my brain works. I was largely asking because you're a lawyer at Taylor McAfee at 201 Portage. You've coached Brandt, who's works at 201 Portage. And now I'm wondering if maybe we should be a building of boxers, Brett, <laughs> and, you know, really get into this. Yeah. It's a theme. Sure. Yeah. Clay Young, uh, Global's Clay Young participated in the boxing event. I can see that. Clay, uh, a few years ago. I wonder if it was this one. We'll have to double check. Because when did you start this? When was the first Melee event? The first Melee was in 2013. 
Okay. Like I'm guessing you like, did you did you get it back last year or did you have to or is this the first year back? Yeah, this is the first year back since 2019. Exciting. You must be looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, uh it's great to get it back on the books and uh we're looking to put on a good show. And before we let you go, Ryan, um going to see live boxing. I've only seen boxing live once. I was uh, actually the MC or the ring announcer, as it were, for an event that was held at uh, my golf course, actually, at Kingswood out in LaSalle. And I was I found it mesmerizing the the athleticism on display. Like you just you can't quite see it on television because they they you often don't get to see the footwork. Uh, because they'll have the camera trained sort of waist up. Uh, so for somebody who's never seen boxing in a live environment, um, how much more special is it uh, just in terms of what you're, you know, what you're used to? Yeah, I mean, you know, particularly so for the Melee Gala, because, you know, like literally we're talking about the best in the world. And so we, we've had a number of athletes who have competed, like international athletes who have competed on the Melee Gala, who have gone on to win Olympic medals, who have gone on to become world champions, who have gone on to become successful professionals. And so, um, you know, you're literally watching, you know, the best of the best uh, in, in terms of uh, the international side. And then again, that's combined with the corporate challenge with people competing in their very first bout. And, you know, those people bring their friends and their family and their corporate sponsors. And so that very much builds on the atmosphere. And so, um, the, you know, the people who attend get to, you know, see their colleagues compete in a match for the very first time, but then get to see some of the best, uh, you know, Olympic style boxing that there is to see. And so it is a, a pretty unique event. All right. Well, you can get more information at unitedboxingclub.com. There are two events. The Melee Gala is September 14th at the Met. And uh, you can also you can get tickets available online through Eventbrite. The second event is on September 17th at Crescentwood Community Center on Corden Avenue. Those tickets also available online through Eventbrite. So, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the time on this. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Ryan Savage is the founder of United Boxing Club, hosting the Melee Gala at the Met on the 14th of September. Another cool thing about boxing is the passion in that community, Loren, because I, uh, when I hosted that event, first time doing anything boxing related. So I was nervous because I'm sta- I'd never done the, I always wanted to try my hand at ring announcing, but I also had to announce the winners. So they, they, the judge, the, Judges or uh, <laughs> officials would hand me a piece of paper and then I would announce the winner. And there was one where it was a split decision. So I called, I announced it as a draw. Uh-oh. I just, I had a brain, I had this brain fart. I'm like, oh yeah, split decision means there's a winner. It's just a, a winner. Yeah, it wasn't unanimous. Yeah. yeah. So, so you Oscared it. Like so you, you did the wrong thing. I said it was a draw. And then <laughs> and it, the whole room turned on me like, well, who won? Who won? And people started booing me. I thought, I, and I'm, like, I'm in a room full of boxers. Like I thought, oh boy. I am going down. <laughs> this is how my life ends. I had to go out there and stand there and say, look. I'm sorry. I'm a radio guy. I don't know anything about this. I was asked to be here. This is super fun. I'm sorry I screwed up. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really fun time to see live boxing in action. So more information at unitedboxingclub.com.